I want to tell you that one of the reasons why we're back up on the platform is we're going to need some altar space in this church. And let me tell you what that's about. Some of you don't know what I mean when I say altar space. But you're going to find out because I'm going to tell you what. You can build an altar anywhere. And you can build altars for good stuff and you can build altars for bad stuff. You know, jinkies, I mean, you can, you can, uh, you can build an altar over a new car. You hear what I'm saying? Or a new home. Or just about anything. But God, I, I just read the other day where when Saul first started serving God in the Old Testament, he went and fought this battle. It was a great battle. And there he built his first altar unto the Lord. It was a great day in the history of Israel. He built an altar unto the Lord. And um, the Lord dealt with me about that because we need to start building the proper types of altars in our life. Do you realize that right where you're sitting, you can build an altar under the Lord, reach out to Him, and have Him touch you and minister to you and meet your needs. You, you get that? Do you, do you know that you can kneel right up here around this platform and build an altar unto the Lord and reach out to God and have God touch you and change you and heal you and minister to you and through you, right? But listen to me carefully. What you don't always focus on is an altar built to God is a place where things die. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What do you think Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me? He meant, take up an instrument of death and follow me. That's what he meant. In the American church today, we don't know enough about dying to self and living for Christ. But we're in a church where we're going to find out. Can you say amen? All right, now, it starts today. Actually, it started before now. When we talked about the sermon the week before I became your pastor was on the glory of God. Do you remember that? It was on the glory of God. That was really the beginning. What did we find out? We found out that God's into manifesting his glory through our lives. He's, he's into manifesting his glory in this world. And he does it, though, to draw more people to him. He, he's showing his glory, and it's manifest in the world that more people will get saved. Amen? And he wants to manifest his glory in our lives. Amen? We are beneficiaries of the manifestation of the glory of God in us. Amen? Well, let's get real specific. We put a challenge out in the last week, and uh, Eunice was the first one to send me a she sent me a text she had to answer. I challenge everybody to go to Psalm 23 and look at it and tell me what the four most important words in it. And once Eunice got it, I was so excited, I just kind of told everybody. <laughs> Eunice got it. She got it. Look, look at the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That sounds good for me, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That sounds good for me, doesn't it? He leads me beside still waters. Good for me, again, right? All right, he leads me beside still waters. Good for me, right? One of the most important lines in this deal is, 
He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? Why does he do it? For his name's sake. Now, now listen. That's where the hook gets set. You've got to pay attention to that phrase right there. It's the most important. Everything else has me in common with it except that phrase right there. And I'm telling you, we have read the 23rd Psalm for years. We've committed it to memory. But never before in my life has God made me focus on for his name's sake. Oh, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Wonderful. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Wonderful. He leads me beside still waters. Good for me. He restores my soul. Wonderful for me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort who? Me. Me. You prepare a table before me uh, in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows, or you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It seems to be all about me except for that one life and death important phrase. For His name's sake. All right, I'm going to follow with me here a little bit. I want to pose an extremely important question today for each of us to consider. What if the place where I'm at right now is as far as I'm going to go in my relationship with God? What if where you're at right now, would it be good enough for the rest of your life? The answer has to be unequivocally no. Wouldn't it be sad to get stuck there? But what sometimes happens in our lives is that we get stuck in a place that was at one time new and fresh for us. When you first get there, you take that next step, it's exciting. Amen? However, when we fail to grow beyond any particular point in our lives, that place can become a prison cell for us over time. Ponder that with me a little bit. I wrote a note here that said, let that marinate a little bit. Southern phrase, let that marinate a little bit. The sad truth is there are many Christians in the American church that are stuck in places just like that. When they got to where they were, it was exciting. It was fresh. It was new. It was great. We're on cloud nine. But if you don't take a step after that, it becomes stale, old. Why? Because in, inside of us, God has created us with this knowledge that with God there's no limit. We can keep going. We can keep growing. We can keep changing. We can keep learning. So if we stop, something's wrong. You get my drift? Something's gone wrong. Look at this with me. In our home, there are full, full-grown people in our house and one teeny, tiny little baby, Right? That one little baby girl can literally tie up all four full-grown adults. You, you, know, you understand what I'm saying, right? In her mind, she's the center of her universe. Everything exists for her and rotates around her. When she's happy, everybody is happy. 
when she is not happy, she wants everybody to know about it. Why? Because when she feels, uh, what she feels and what she thinks is of paramount importance to her. Therefore, it should be important to everybody else on the planet. Anybody know anybody like that? What has that got to do with Psalm 23? Well, ask yourself this. How do you perceive Psalm 23? Answering that question should reveal some very important facts about it. I don't know about you, but I can tell you that it makes me feel good. Psalm 23 makes me feel good. How many of you like to feel good? You're not saved by your feelings, but it does feel good to feel good, right? Y'all are tracking with me? The psalm reveals all kinds of wonderful things that God is doing for me, all right? However, what God has impressed upon me today and for you today is this question. Can you focus on with me? Here's the question. Can you focus with me? in this service today, on those four life and death important words for his name's sake. What if the next step that I need to take with God forced me to be radical in my approach to everything I thought I knew about Jesus? That's the, that's the huge question. What if the next step that I need to take with God forced me to be radical in my approach to everything that I thought I knew about him? Consider this. Let's modify the focus for a minute. Consider that Psalm 23 is typical of all of the psalms that we have before us. I was telling Ruthie the other day, I'm glad she's down in Children's Church. She is not going to want to hear this again. <laughs> what if I went to Ruth and I said to Ruth, Honey, I have written hundreds of poems about me, and they're all about how amazing I am. And I'm going to give them to you, and you get to sing them to me, and you get to say them to me, and it's just going to be so much fun. <laughs> well, in, in reality, the Psalms are one big, huge, giant hymn book given to us by God about how amazing he is. And it's been given to the bride. It's been given to the church. And, and I can tell you that there are a whole lot of songs that we sing in this place came right out of the song. Great big hymn book, right? Oh, this is great. Nathan, rise from your chair and come here. That is not good. That's not good. Hold on one second. All right. Well, this is great because I'm going to show you what I'm looking at. Now, if it was just part of the sermon, but it's half of the sermon, how'd you do that? Okay, don't let her get very far away, all right? All right, okay. All right, the psalm, great big hymn book about the greatness of God, how amazing he is, and we get to sing them. Thank you very little, Nathan. And um, all right, so anyway, you know, if I told Ruthie she gets to sing these to me, she gets to say these to me, she wouldn't be thrilled, right? All right. And she's going to have so much fun. No, no, she's not. 
I'll say, okay, how does this pertain to me specifically? The Psalms are not written about my greatness, are they? Look at a person next to you and say, I need more proof. I like that. All right, go ahead and say, I need more proof. Thank you. Now, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, we're going to look at verse 1 together. Isaiah 43, verse 1. I love hearing those pages turn. You've got to turn there because you've got to read this with me. It sounds like another, another grace fest for the people of Israel is what it sounds like. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Listen to this now. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. We make the mistake of, of taking all of the good things that God says about us and making them the most important thing. In our thinking, it helps us shape our vision of this American-made Jesus, middle-class American Jesus that we serve. You, are you following with me here? And we do not focus on the few most important words. God said, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Go to Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to paint a picture for you and why this is important. Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to read verses 22 and 23, and we're going to do it. We're going to look at it together while we're reading it because, hey, I'm not going to make anything up, but you should check me out to make sure I'm not lying to you, all right? Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 and 23. Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Let me tell you, there's a whole lot about God that God does for God. All right? and does for God in spite of us, all right? God literally says, I'm not blessing you for your sake. I'm blessing you for my name's sake among the nations. In the New Testament, when you see the accounts of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, these gospel accounts, how do they end? More often than not, how do they end? 
with the words, go make this known to all nations. And I'm telling you, the things that are said before that, it's all about blessings for us. The grace manifests in our lives, what for? So that this message can be made known to all nations. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, what, what, what is he going to say then after that? I mean, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm going to start moving through these verses pretty quick. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Luke 24, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Isn't that all about blessing me? That's all about blessing me. That's so I can be saved. Amen? Thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to who? The neighborhood? No. It's to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so Luke picks up in Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Stop right there. What do you believe that God wants to give you the Holy Spirit for? Do you, you talk about grace. You think about grace. The Holy Spirit wants to come and live inside of you to overflowing. Talk about grace. That's powerful. What for? To make me feel good? So that I can lay hands on people and give them a word? Well, can that happen? Yeah, that can happen. But that ain't why he gave the Holy Ghost to us. I'm telling you, in the American church, we got it backwards. You know? I mean, we run after. We cherish the gifts of the Spirit of God, and, and we want those blessings, and then we forget what the purpose was that it was given to us for. Acts chapter 1, verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's locally, and in all Judea, that's spreading out, Samaria, that's even further, and then to the end of the earth, that's the rest of the world. God didn't just give me a spirit so I can pray in tongues, so I can have a prayer language. He didn't just give me a spirit so I can enjoy his gifts. Because it ain't all about me. And it ain't all about you. Listen to this. Galatians chapter 1 verse 15. How many of you believe 
as we've been talking about this lately, that God really blessed Paul's socks off, man. God blessed that man and gave him so much of the New Testament, more than, you know, all the other writers really combined. Really, I mean, he, he gave us a lot of the New Testament. God spoke through him. And the blessings that God put on his life, he brought him under attack even. The devil tried to kill him, wanted to kill him, right? To stop him from penning this. And, God, and, and Paul reached out to God for healing. And God said, you know, well, you, you know, we can take that away from you. But you're under attack because of these things that I'm doing with you. And so what was Paul's result was? Held up his hands and said, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. Don't, don't take this blessing from me. I will live with it if I have to, but I want to keep hearing from you, Father. Your grace is sufficient. But in Galatians chapter 1 and 15 it says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his what? His grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, or to me. God was pleased to reveal Jesus Christ to Paul, right? What for? To make him feel good? No. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That I might preach him among the Gentiles. Folks, let me tell you something. Let me, let me spell it out like this. What God's telling me is this. All of the blessings that I bestow upon you in life have a different purpose than which you think that I'm, I'm bestowing them on you for. I'm going to prove it to you. You can stick with the Word of God all the way to the book of Revelation, chapter 5 and 7. You can't help but get the big picture. How many of you know that we are serving the sovereign God of all things? What makes him God is that even if he could make a mistake, who would grade his paper? Ain't nobody. You know, I, I mentioned this story. It, broke, it breaks my heart every time. It's in an Old Testament thing. I wasn't going to mention it, but I got to mention it again. There's a man that God raised up in Israel, and he was going to have that man lead Israel against, uh, uh, against the Philistines, and God was going to give him great victory. Well, he did something that evidently and apparently he didn't have to do. All he had to do was obey God. But he got foolish and let some words roll out of his mouth that he shouldn't let roll out of his mouth. He's all excited. God's on the move. So he says in front of the ears of the people, in front of God, if, if the God will give me victory over the Philistines, when I return home, I will give him the first thing that I lay my eyes on. Do you remember that story? And what did he lay his eyes on when he got home after God gave him the victory? What was it? Tell him. His one and only child, his daughter. And he lamented the vow that he, he, he had made to God, but he was going to keep it. And it's the only recording in the word of God of someone sacrificing a human being to God. Now, the curious thing is, from the moment he opened his mouth and made the vow to the time he sacrificed his daughter, the word of God does not mention God one time. It doesn't mention him. It doesn't mention his opinion of what the man said. And it doesn't mention his opinion of what the man did. We can speculate six ways from Sunday, and it won't make no never mind. God was silent on the matter, right? 
because he's God. And he can do anything he wants to do. And you can't do anything about it. How do I know these things? You think that people today are doing this to God? You, you, you know, that's what, that's what it, it, the impression was to me. That the world and even people in this country are doing this to God. But God is not mocked. Amen. God is not mocked. And Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 7 tells me that every human being who has ever lived shall bow the knee, amen, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Nobody's getting away with anything. Nobody's getting away with anything, right? Because he is God. He's God, right? All right, now that picture culminates or concludes with God having the final word. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. So again, why has God blessed us with such great blessings? You know, we're, we're Americans. The poorest person in this room is wealthier than about 4 billion people on the planet right now. Even the homeless in this country can get a meal once in a while. I mean, they can eat. What I'm trying to tell you is that about 4 billion people in the world are more poor than the poorest person in America. This nation as a whole has been more greatly blessed by the hand of God than any nation in the history of the world. And you know what? We've come to expect a lot for that. There have been some things, is what Father's telling me, about those blessings that we have come to a point of taking for granted in such a way that it has obscured our spiritual vision. Watch this with me. I have to ask this question. All right, all right. Please, Father, in Jesus' name, help us see this question for what it is. The question, is it possible that we've created for ourselves as American Christians an image of a middle-class American Jesus. Let me explain to you why I'm posing this very important question. A danger exists in the American church. We are, of all people in the history of this world, the most blessed people of any people in history. That's why we see the 23rd Psalm the way we do. However, God blesses his people for the sake of his name among all the nations of the world. Now, what does that mean? It means we have certain responsibilities as American Christians because we're so blessed and we're missing the mark. As such, the warning we must consider is that if we are not careful, here it is, we are prone to disconnect God's blessing in our lives from God's purpose for our lives. Now, let that sink in. Let me even change it a little bit. We're prone to separate God's blessings for our church with God's purpose for our church. 
look, we're, we're not doing anything wrong. As a matter of fact, I've never seen a church like this one after a transition get up and run. You're, you're running. I don't know if you know that or not, but you're running. You do things together. You pray together. You, you, you know, even the bike thing yesterday, it was 14 of you out there. And we got to see little kids get happy over a bicycle that was given to them. And if you think they don't know that God was involved with the American Legion and Life Spring Bible Church and them getting that bicycle, it was a blessing, yes. But God, God was in that. God, God was blessing. Why? Because he's a God of blessings. But I want you to focus with me again on the warning. If we're not careful, we're prone to disconnect God's blessing in our lives from God's purpose in our lives. Another way to put it, once again, is we're prone to disconnect God's blessing in the church from his purpose for the church. Our hearts resonate with the message of grace and for good reason. We relish sermons, songs, books that exalt grace. And so we should, unless it is a grace that stops at centering on me, on us. The wonder of grace is worthy of our attention. But if it's disconnected from its purpose, the sad result is a self-centered Christianity that totally misses the purpose of God. I want to talk to you about that purpose here for a minute. If you walk into the average church in this country and ask the average person to summarize the message of Christianity, the response might sound something like this. God loves you. God loves me enough to send his son to die for us. Doesn't that sound like the message? It sounds like the message, right? So boil it down to God loves me. If I stop there, though, there's no period there. There's a pause, but that's only a little bit of the message. But if I would literally stop there, that God loves me. And look, I've been guilty as your pastor, even since I became your pastor, of talking a lot about what God, how much he loves us, how much he wants to do for us. I'm going to, me, 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 bless me. I'm guilty of that, all right? But if I say God loves me, well, do a little English lesson, lesson with me. If I say God loves me, who then becomes the object in that sentence? Me. And if I have a self-centered grace in my thinking and in my heart and in my mind, it's all about me. It's all about the, the, the preacher I like to listen to. It's all about the kind of music I like. It's all about whether I like that person in that pew over there or I don't like that person in that pew over there. Do you understand what I'm saying? The wrong focus sets in when it becomes all about me. It's all about me, 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 me. When my, when my granddaughter wants to consume the lives of four adults, she can tie it up pretty good. <laughs> and so, and if you don't know what she's going through, you'll find out, you'll get a phone call, you'll get a text, you'll get an email, it'll show up on Facebook, but you're going to hear about it because she wants you to know something's wrong here, right? Have you ever met children of God that were so steeped and stuck being baby Christians that there was always a pot being stirred and everybody's got to know about it? How about some ouch? I'm serious. And whole churches can get tied up and wrapped up in it. It can become about my life, my plans, my dreams, my family, my home. The truth is that God loves me is not the message of Christianity, but that God loves me so that his grace and his glory might be known among the nations. Then who becomes the object of Christianity? 
God. When you look at the entire sentence, why? What have I done to you today? Hopefully, with God's help, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I've gotten you to understand that all of these blessings in our lives are to be able for us to get the message out there to the whole world that Jesus Christ died for them too. It ain't all about me and what I can get next from God. You know, Jesus tried to simplify it for us and tell us, Father already knows what you have need of. So when you pray, pray this. Our Father which art in heaven. You know the prayer, right? Because God puts clothes on our back. He already knows. A sparrow doesn't die that he doesn't know about it. So this is something that you've got to take out of here today. Whether it be evangelism or whether it be prayer or whatever it is. Jesus said, Father already knows what you have need of. Then why bother to pray? Because it is the plan that God laid out there. God is a sovereign God can show up and do anything he wants at any time he wants. But what did he choose to do? Work through your prayer life. Now, right? So that's why we pray. Because God said do it, right? Jesus said, he already has, he knows what you have need of before you pray. Well, then you ask the question, why do we pray? Because God loves hearing from us. And he doesn't just show up. More often than not, he works through your prayers because he could show up anytime he wants and be sovereign. But we, what, what do you think would happen if we don't, what's going to happen if we don't pray? Listen to me now when I tell you this. We are God's plan A. And he does not have or want a plan B. We're it. We're it. So, what am I saying to you today? Am I saying that God has an ulterior motive for blessing me? I absolutely am not. Let me make that clear. I'm not saying that God has an ulterior plan for blessing me. God is saying that. God's saying it, not me. God has an ulterior motive for blessing you so that the world will know his love. So that the entire world will know his love. 